0: There we go. Right? I know. It's exactly my point. <sighs> no. Man, don't you love that noise? Isn't <sighs> it lovely? No, it's, it's actually like, it's a beautiful thing because it means there's people in conversation. And I love that. But and it's like, just like I love my kids who by the way are staying up here with us today, just to clarify, I'm making sure you all are aware of that, but my kids, I love them, but if they're in the back of the vehicle and they're all talking and making noise and I'm trying to talk to Tessa and there's other things, oh, Matt has some uh, booklets here, if you need one, just flag them down for the kiddos to color and write in, sorry, Matt's passing some of those out and making uh, his way around with some stuff for them to do, so they got some ways to keep track and engage with us this morning as well, but... If they're all in the back of the van making a lot of noise and Tess and I are trying to talk, it's amazing how all of a sudden that noise starts to cut off the syllables of what someone else is saying. Like it all starts to muddy together and I can't distinguish what I'm actually trying to hear from what all the other noises are. If I'm in a noisy room like that, I love the atmosphere of lots of people engaging with each other, but it's so difficult for me to sort out the different sounds, to sort out The voices I'm hearing over here versus the voice I want to hear, right? And we live in a world and in a culture that is kind of like that noisy room, right? Because if we really listen to that video, it wasn't important what we saw as much as what we heard. If we listen to that video, then we're hearing those voices. It's hard for us to distinguish or pick out any one thing anyone was talking about. If we're standing in a crowded room, it's hard to hear one thing. But we live in a culture... That's constantly throwing messages at us, constantly saying a lot of different things. For example, if I'm driving down the interstate, I see a lot of billboards. And one, this one lets me know that if I get in a car accident today, there's this lawyer that's got me covered. I just have to call his number. There's another one who's saying if I need some dental work done, I can call this guy. He's gotten me covered. There's another one over here saying this is the best cheeseburger you've ever had at Exit 13. Probably not. And so we keep driving down the road and we see different messages on different billboards along the way. But then there's also what we watch on TV, and as we watch TV, there's the message. Just let Google do it. Get the newest gadget and the newest, coolest gizmo that'll transform your life because you can just say, hey, Alexa, go do this, and she'll take care of it. Or we get this little thing over here that you need that'll completely transform your life or this commercial for this investment firm that'll really make you rich and wealthy and set you up for the future if you just trust them with your money. There's so many different messages. It's all the same way everywhere we turn, everywhere we go. We just came out of a really fun season recently called election season where there's messages everywhere, right? This candidate will revolutionize everything and completely save us and make us the best country ever. This candidate kills puppies in their free time and is the most evil human being to ever walk the face of the earth, right? That's kind of the way these things battle back and forth. I'm just kidding. I didn't actually hear that ad. It was just a joke. Um, But to say all these things, there's all these messages flying at us, and to make it that much better, we have social media, which is a place where we can all share our thoughts on said messages and share how we like this product or what we think about this restaurant or what we think about this politician or how we feel about these current events. And as we see that, there's these wonderful algorithms that tell us, hey, I see the stuff you look at. You'd probably like this message. This one probably suits you really well. If you do a Google search, it's really fun how Google knows you well enough to put the news it wants you to see in front of you. Because if several different people do the same search in Google, they might get different results. And as that happens, more and more messages are flying at us, and more and more noises and voices are flooding our heads, and we live in this wonderful world where, to top it all off, because of social media, we have the opportunity to chime in and side with different messages so that we can say how we feel about certain things in an effort, hopefully, to get somebody to click that little like button. Or to tap on that little heart to say that they care, value, or agree with what we're saying. And in the midst of all these messages, it's kind of this muddy mess of messages. And all of a sudden, there's so many voices and so many messages, it's hard to distinguish what we should really be talking about, what we should really be listening to, what we should really think, how we should really act, where we should really go. And as Matt said, tomorrow's it. The last day of 2018. And I'm a person that doesn't, like Matt said, set a lot of like, I probably should set like I need to be working out more and eating fewer of these 16 things. And I probably should be setting some goals like that for myself. But the kind of goals I like to set are more about looking at the year and saying there's this general theme that I feel like God has put on my heart. This general idea for where I think God wants us to really lean in this year. And the word that just kind of keeps coming to my mind from some different study and some different thing that's been going on in my life is this word reveal. And so for the next two weeks, I want us to spend time talking about this new little quick just two week series. This last Sunday of 2018 and the first Sunday of 2019, talking about the idea that in the midst of all the voices and all the noise, how do we quiet ourselves down enough to allow God to reveal himself to us? so that we are living in an expectant, anticipating kind of way, like we talked about the last several weeks, where we really, truly want to lean in so that Christ can reveal himself to us in a way that transforms us. Not like all the gadgets and the gizmos that promise to transform our lives, but to actually allow ourselves to make space to hear Christ's voice in a way where he reveals himself to us. And so I want to spend the next couple weeks talking about some things that get in the way of that and some ways that we really need to clear space for him to speak. And we're going to do that by looking at God's word. But before we open his word, would you bow your heads for a word of prayer with me? Father, I love you. And Father, you know, and I know that you are amazing and that you are everything we need and everything that we could ever hope for. And this morning, I pray that you would help me get out of the way, Father. You know that I've been wrestling with this, and I just feel a little out of sorts this morning, and I just don't know that I have the words to say that are most beneficial today. But, Father, I know that you want to speak to us. And so, Father, I pray this morning that your words would be heard, that your word would be heard, and that, Father, this morning we would draw closer to you and pursue you with all of our heart, knowing that you are the most important thing give this time to you, and it is in that precious, holy name of Jesus, I pray all these things. Amen. So open to Galatians chapter 1 is where we're going to start and where we'll be most of our time today. Galatians chapter 1. That's Colossians. How did I get there? There we go. Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. And I want to give you a little back story before we start reading the actual verses here. This book, the book of Galatians, is written by a guy named Paul. But in the past, Paul's name was not Paul, it was actually Saul. We're introduced to Saul in the book of Acts. where uh, There's this guy named Stephen who's going to become the first martyr for the gospel. He's the first martyr for the faith, uh, for following Jesus and proclaiming him. And he says some pretty bold things to the guys who are standing around with rocks, who are basically accusing him of teaching this broken theology, this broken uh this broken story about this Jesus who's supposed to be the Messiah, when in reality we're supposed to follow the law and we're supposed to follow God in this other way. And so there's all these Pharisees and scribes and Jewish people who are standing around with rocks, getting ready to stone Stephen, and Saul is the guy there holding everybody's coat, cheering them on, right? He's standing there overwatch, over- overseeing this stoning of Stephen, and it, it's not just this the... The end of something there is the beginning. He continues to be a part of this persecution of the church. We see that Saul continues to go around persecuting the church and stoning people in the name of God, saying, you're stepping away from God's teaching, away from God's law. This Jesus thing is not okay, and we're going to squelch it, and we're going to stomp it out. And so he's a part of this, until one day he's riding on his horse to Damascus, and this bright blinding light knocks him off his horse, And God literally blinds him with his bright light, knocks him off his horse, and says, Why are you persecuting me? The voice of Jesus speaks into this moment. If you look at your scripture, if you've got a Bible that has red letters, in that passage we see these red letters show up. Jesus is actually in this moment talking to to Saul, saying, Why are you persecuting my body? Why are you persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting me? And he completely flips Saul's world upside down, in fact, changes his name to Paul. And now Paul is faced with this choice to wrestle with who he's going to be. And he goes and he gets away and he starts to hear from Christ. And Christ starts to reveal himself to Paul in such a way that transforms Paul's life. And he becomes this fantastic leader in the church. A lot of the apostles are focusing on the Jewish community, on God's chosen people. But Paul feels this calling to go to the Gentiles. Paul is spreading the gospel. He's investing in the Gentile communities, planting churches. He's supporting churches. He's encouraging them. He's building up disciples and doing amazing work. In the midst of that, they've, given him, they've, they've kind of given him the title of apostle because even though he didn't walk with Jesus while Jesus was on the earth and follow him as one of the twelve, he is still given this title because Christ reveals himself to Paul and gives him this message that he is now spreading. And so here we have the book of Galatians. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia about stuff that's going on. Now, I want to tell you that Paul typically starts his letters with an introduction. Hey, it's me, Paul. Greetings from Paul, the apostle. I greet you with blessings in Christ. I greet you with peace. I greet you with all these things. It's kind of a formal greeting. And then typically... The next thing we would see in a letter from Paul, because we have several, because Paul not only plants all these churches, he writes a large number of the New Testament books. He says this, I give thanks to God for you, and he starts to tell the people that he's writing to why he's thankful for them, and why they're a blessing to him, and what they're doing in the name of God that's pleasing, and how they're setting a good example. He kind of lavishes thanks and praise on them, not to the Galatians, because in verse 6, right after the greeting, he starts off with these words, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Let's back up for just a second, I also wanted to let you know this, when Paul writes these letters, they would go to that church, and someone like me would get up at the gathering of this body, where this body would gather together, and they would read Paul's letter to everybody, the whole thing. So they would read out Paul's letter of encouragement to the whole body. And here he is saying, how dare you? How quickly you have fallen away. What in the world is going on? You so quickly fall away from the gospel. He is putting them on blast really quickly saying, this is not all right. And not only are they going to read it, typically the practice was these letters would go around from church to church. Paul had this incredible way, not only of calling out a church when they were in the wrong, but calling out individuals when they were in the wrong in these letters, calling them by name. I can only imagine if I were to get up here and read a letter about all the stuff we're doing wrong and called a few people out by name and said, here's what you're doing wrong. I probably wouldn't see those people again. That'd be bad. Um, Because in our culture, you just can't get away with that, right? But Paul... Is full of zeal. He's a very zealous guy. And he's writing saying, this is not okay what you've fallen into. Let me read the rest of this here. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let me clarify what's happening here. Again, Paul's speaking to the Gentiles, and the church at Galatia is full of these Gentiles. And what's happened is there's some sympathizers of Judaism who have come in and said, listen, we were taught back in the Old Testament, back in the Word, when God came to Abraham as a sign of his covenant to Abraham, he said, you and your son and all of your sons and all of the men in your camp and all the people that serve and follow you need to be circumcised. And here's the thing, you need to go do that. And from now on, as a sign of your commitment and following of God, you need to be circumcised. And so these sympathizers have come into this community to these Gentiles who are not circumcised. And he says, they are saying to them, listen, if you really want to be a follower of God, if you actually want to be involved in this relationship, if you really want to be a passionate follower of Jesus, even though you were a Gentile before, now you have Jesus, you still have to go through this process. In fact, you aren't a good follower if you haven't. And that's why Paul's so upset. Paul understands that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, to do away with it, but to fulfill it. Because as he continues to go on in Galatians and teach... The law wasn't there to be this forever binding thing that kept everybody in line and in check. It was there to help us see our sin and our shortcoming, to help us see how we had fallen short. And now that we knew how we had fallen short, we now know that Christ has come, that we can be free and forgiven of our sins and the ways we have fallen short. We now live not continuing to break the law or continuing to go against the law, But we now go on with a new covenant and a new agreement. And that Christ isn't trying to get us to sign on to the old covenant of Abraham. He's helping us to be set free and rescued through him. And Paul understands that. And he doesn't want them to get confused by saying you have to be circumcised to be a follower. That's not true. Jesus never said that. Jesus set the example of baptism, but he never said you have to go and be circumcised. And for these Gentiles, it's hanging more weights of what it means on their head, and they have fallen into it, and they start to tell everybody else they have to do it as well. And here's the problem Paul is furious and upset because we're allowing these traditions and these things we always thought we knew to interfere with the gospel and what's trying to be set up and established and, and set forth in this new church, in this growing church. And he's trying to help them understand, you don't just fall back and rely on all the things you know, because you're not trying to please people, you are trying to please God. He says, if I was trying to please people, trust me, I wouldn't be here. I was really a a pretty special thing amongst the Pharisees. Back there in my old days where I was stoning people, I was a big deal. And if I was just trying to please people, I would still be back there doing that, because why would I leave them and make them upset? They seem like a dangerous crew to make upset. I know what they'll do to me if they catch me following the way I helped them do it. If I was still trying to make them happy, I wouldn't be here following Christ, but I am trying to make Christ happy. Therefore, I put all those things aside and pursue something new. In fact, he continues to say this, and this is kind of important. For I would have you know that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it in order that i might preach him among the gentiles i did not immediately consult with anyone nor did i go up to jerusalem to those who were the apostles before me but i went my way or went away into arabia and returned again to damascus then after 3 years i went up to jerusalem to visit cephas or as we know him peter and remained with him 15 days But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith. He once tried to destroy... And they glorified God because of me. Here's the thing. Paul, Paul specifically emphasizes the fact, what I'm telling you here, listen, I'm not lying. I didn't run off to go talk to the apostles. I didn't run off to go listen under someone else's teaching. I didn't run off to go listen and acquire all these other voices. I didn't go try to find all these other thoughts and all the other ideas on what it meant to follow him. I thought for a long time I knew I followed the way of the Pharisee. I was really learned in their ways. In fact, among my age group, I was accomplishing things no one else was. I was a big deal. But here's the thing. I knew all those traditions. I knew all those ways. I was a big deal where I was. And I knew all those voices. And I knew that there were a lot of other voices out there teaching. But I'm telling you, I'm not lying. I didn't go run off and try to learn from somebody else I went away to Arabia and to Damascus, and for three years I listened and allowed God to reveal to me His truth through His Son. He made things known to me. He revealed Himself to me through the presence of Jesus Christ. Because many of us would think it's the right thing to do, to run off and immediately go find Peter, and immediately go find James and all these other disciples who walked alongside of Jesus. But what greater source is there than the source himself. When the source has revealed himself to you in the same way he revealed himself to Paul on that road to Damascus, when you've got access to the source itself, why go listen to somebody else's interpretation or somebody else's input, somebody else's way of doing things? He had access to the source. He's trying to help him understand, listen, I didn't receive some man-made gospel. I didn't hear it from the Jews. I didn't hear it from the apostles. I didn't hear it from anybody else. I heard it straight from his mouth. And I chase after that with all my heart because I know that is worth sacrificing everything for. I know he is worth pleasing. I'm not worried about making everybody else happy. I'm only worried about making him happy. And here's the thing. In the midst of all this time, in the midst of all this growing, in the midst of all this learning, Paul is fighting for this gospel to maintain its integrity, not to be hypocritical in the way he acts over here and the way he acts over here. Not to say you have to be circumcised, but you don't, or you have to do this, you don't. In fact, it was also a practice of that time not to even eat with the Gentiles. And he actually, later in chapter 2, calls out Peter himself, because he's frustrated with Peter. Because he was at this get-together. It says it right here in verse 11 of chapter 2, if you want to follow along. But when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like a Jew? And he speaks these harsh words to Peter in front of everybody. This new guy who used to stone people, who does he think he is? But the problem is, Paul saw... That Peter was living one way when the Jews weren't around and no one was around to criticize him. And the moment they showed up, the moment they arrived at the party, he separated himself and said, Oh yeah, I don't, I don't associate with that crowd over there. I'm not supposed to eat with them. I'm not supposed to be with them. that's what the laws and that's what the customs of our people say we're supposed to do is to separate ourselves. But you see, under the gospel, we're called to reach out. That the gospel is for everyone. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. That we're all made equal. When we've accepted Christ, we all... Have hope through Christ. We're all adopted as sons and daughters. And so the reality is, he's seeing the hypocrisy of their actions and how it's leading everyone in the room astray, and he calls him out for it because it wasn't just about the traditions of what we thought we knew, and it wasn't about the convictions of what we think we understand, and it wasn't about all this stuff. It only mattered what would please Christ. And Paul was a zealous guy who was willing to stand up for it. And why? Because he had allowed space and time in his life for Christ to be made known. I had this experience in my life that tells me that sometimes, and I'm not saying everyone is guilty of this, but sometimes, we can get wrapped up in all of our understanding of what it means to follow Christ. We can get wrapped up in our traditions and our preferences and our desires and our wishes and our wants are what makes us comfortable and what makes us uncomfortable, how we try to please others and how we don't. And what that causes is for us to focus in on those things and to sometimes miss the real heart of what Christ is trying to get us to do. And for example, I used to work at a different church and there was this guy who I interacted with pretty regularly, and I felt like I had a way of upsetting this guy pretty regularly. Um, usually, there was something, some frustration, something I had done, and he he was nice about it. He was never mean or, or mean spirited, but he would call me out and say, "I don't think that's the right way to do this. I don't think that's appropriate. I think this sets a bad example." And very often, when we'd have these conversations, I would think about what this gentleman had said because for me, it's my heart's desire to gain from every criticism of who I am. I want to grow. I want to get better. I usually openly invite and welcome people saying, hey, I don't think this is good. Good, because I can learn from that. I can't learn if everybody's saying, oh, you're wonderful, we love you. There's no way for me to grow in that. And I know that we're also probably lying, because I'm not. <laughs> but all that being said, this, these accusations, these things that would come up, these frustrations that would come about, I would listen carefully to say, even if his perception is just broken, he doesn't understand my heart, I want to be able to change his perception because perception is reality. I want to be able to help him see my heart and who I am. And oftentimes, the criticisms that came my way weren't about anything founded in here. Sometimes it's about the way I, the, the shoes I wore on a day that wasn't even a Sunday and how I was setting a bad example by the shoes I wore. Maybe it was about the way that I did a certain thing, stacking something, putting something away. Maybe I wasn't doing enough volunteer stuff beyond my job. Basically every time we talked it was kind of frustrating because I'd look for the heart of the message of the gospel in it and I didn't find it. And every time I had a conversation with this gentleman and I love him and we still get along and we it, it's I'm not saying anything bad about him specifically but what was frustrating to me is when I was dealing with the correction, the confrontation, I never felt like God's word was a part of it. I felt like it always had to do with His wants and His desires and His thoughts of what was right and wrong. And very often, there was never any Scripture used. Even in other times when we were talking about pleasant things, Scripture never was coming out of His mouth. It was usually the cliches, the things that we find really easy to say but really aren't in Scripture itself. The little phrases like, you know, when God closes a door, He opens a window. Which is fine, and there's nothing wrong with that saying per se, but if those are the only things that are coming out of our mouth, if it's only every other people's words that are coming out of our mouth, if it's only ever the traditions of what we've always done, if it's only ever these pieces, it's not that any one of them is wrong. But when we hold on to all of our thoughts and all of our ideas and all of our assumptions of what the gospel is and what it means to be a church and what it means to be a Christ follower, and we hold on to so many of our own understandings that we can no longer see Christ in his heart. We make it really difficult for him to reveal what we're supposed to be doing. And Paul understood that even the best of us, even Peter himself, was susceptible to falling into old habits, to falling into our desires and our wants, or our desire to please other people, or our desires to make other people happy. And every little step we take like that, every little thing we hold on to, every other voice we listen to that's not Christ's, just pulls us that much further away. I'm not going to take another step because there's a ledge there. And that's just it. We continue to make it harder and harder for ourselves to find space in His presence for Him to reveal Himself to us. There's another passage that Paul writes, and you can just listen to me read this. It's in Colossians chapter 2, and it's not the one I put in the bulletin. We might come back to that one next week, so just kind of ignore that for now. It's the two verses right above that, six and seven. You don't, I mean, you don't have to ignore it. You can read it and make sure I'm in context and all that kind of fun stuff. But in chapter 2 of Colossians, verse 6, Paul says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We live in Indiana, so hopefully... We know a little bit about roots. Even if we're not experts on the subject, we've seen roots, hopefully. There's different roots for different plants, and roots establish themselves in different ways. But when we think about roots, we always know that they're digging down into soil, reaching, whether it be entangling themselves in a lot of small strands, digging deep with big, thick roots that hold deep into the ground so that the winds and and different things don't blow them over. Regardless, roots reach down and immerse and entangle and wrap themselves around. And I love all of the scripture's imagery of roots, because those roots entangle and hold on for the sake of finding nutrients. And Paul's words, "...therefore as you received Jesus or Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving." I've learned this over the years. There's a lot of information I can store up here about what I think is right and wrong. And there's a lot of understanding I can put in here about Scripture and how to use it and how it affects our lives and how it works on who we are. But here's the thing. For as quick as my brain can send information from itself to my heart telling it to beat, those electrical impulses that make my heart beat are so quick and so fast and they're there instantly. The information I store in my brain takes a long, long time sometimes to seep into my heart and my actions. The speed at which information transfers in a way that's productive and life-changing and transformative into my heart can sometimes take a long time. And as I build ideas and I build more clutter and I build more stuff and more ideas and more thoughts, if they're based off my understanding or they're based off some other expert's opinion or they're based off some other system that's not in line with God's teaching, it can, cloudy, it can cloud up and muddy up the work so that we're having a tough time seeing Christ and what he's actually called us to do. And here's what I want to say this morning. As we set the tone for 2019, we're going to talk a little bit more about what this looks like practically and what this means for us next week. But I want us to wrestle with this question. I'm not saying that everything we have stored in our head is broken or wrong or some other voice. But I want to be sure at the end of the day that I'm not simply trying to please other people or that I'm not trying to hold on to something that was valuable to me or I'm not trying to do anything other than see the face of Jesus himself. My only desire for 2019 is I've studied the last couple of months and I've seen and I know we've We are working through what it means for us to be a church together, what it means for me to be your pastor, what it means for where we go from here, and all these different questions. And I don't think any of the rest of the questions matter if it's built on my understanding or your understanding or anybody's understanding but his. And if we as a body are not making space for him to reveal himself to us and his way and his teaching and clear out all the clutter of what we think and what we want and what we desire so that we can only hear his voice, how can we ever take a stand for what's right? How can we ever be bold like Paul was bold? How can we be zealous for what it is he's called us to be if we're not 100% certain and not 100% sold out to the idea that it's only him we're trying to please? And it's going to be really hard for us to see his face and know his word if we haven't made space for him to reveal himself to us. And so as we step into this next year, I want to encourage you and challenge you not to set a, re- a, uh, a New Year's resolution tomorrow. And if the worship team wants to come back up, I'm going to wrap up with this thought. I'm not going to encourage you to go home and take a piece of paper and write down a bunch of New Year's resolutions. But I'm going to encourage you and challenge you to do this. Go home and make some time this week, whether it's in your quiet time, your devotion time, whether it's just in your personal study. Or maybe you just have to carve out some space because if you're not making that free time, We're going to have a really hard time making space for God to reveal himself anyway. And we're going to talk about how we make space really early on in the year. But I I want you to take a piece of paper and I want you to start writing down this. Start writing down what does it mean, what do you have to have to be a Christ follower? What What does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to be a good Christian? Start writing down the things that in your mind right now are essential. What are the things that are important? What are the things that are valuable? What are the things... And then you got that column over here. I want you to take this other column over here and start to write down the same thing about church. What does it mean for church to be following God? What does it look like for church to actually be doing what we are called to be doing? What does a church have to have in place, and what does the structure have to look like to be pleasing to God? And I want you to make out that list, and then here's what I want to challenge you to do. Every day from here on out the rest of this year, I want you to find some space and some time to start praying over that list and to seek God's face and say, God, what of these things on this list Are my ideas, and what of them are yours? What are the things I need to let go of in terms of what I think are important, and what are the things I need to value more wholeheartedly that I haven't seen before because I've been so busy holding on to my perspectives? And I'm not saying that your list will be broken and that all of it might change all that much, but I want us to be sure that as we go into 2019, we are pursuing His vision and His direction and not our own. And so the challenge is simply to pray over that list and say, God, how is it you need to reveal yourself to me? What if this is me and what if it is you? And as we study, as we learn, as we grow, I think it will be interesting by the end of the year to see where we're at with the list that we started with and the list that we finished with. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to sing and to worship and to pray. But as we pray, I just simply want you to pray this simple prayer. God, I want to see your face and I want to make room for you to reveal yourself to me so that I know exactly what it means to follow you. And just let that be your simple prayer, that God, it's only your face I want to see in this coming year, and not my own desires and my, not my own understanding. If you need to pray with us about other things that you're facing, you're going through, we'd love to pray with you, come forward. If you want to be introduced to this Jesus who will radically transform your life, we'd love to talk to you about that too. But otherwise, I just encourage you to spend some time in the presence of God, saying, Christ, reveal yourself to me that I might know you, and that be rooted in you and transformed by you, so that I can grow in this coming year. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much, and I have no desire to please myself by my actions. I have no desire to just make everybody happy and build a name for myself that makes me something great, or to to be climbing among any ranks, Father, that's not my heart's desire. And Father, more and more every day I pray that you would put in me that desire to only want to see your face so that I can do exactly what it is that pleases you. That I would know your way, and that I would follow it with the same sort of zeal and boldness that Paul did. That I would have the passion and the desire to chase after you with everything I have, abandoning everything I thought I knew, and walking into this year only concerned with what you want. I love you so much since the wonderful name of Jesus I pray all these things. Amen.